0: Karen Muscovitz was murdered on January 4th, 2004, and this is her parents' story. Mourning the Murdered is a podcast I created because in 1999, a friend of mine was murdered. My name is Kelly, and I am your host. I saw the effects that murder have on family members, and I wanted to give a voice to the loved ones of murdered victims. Every week, I interview the family member of a murder victim. So please be sure to tune in every Thursday to hear their stories on Morning the Murdered podcast. When people think of Florida, they think of Walt Disney World and Sun, spring break parties, and the Florida Keys, sunsets on the beach, swimming and surfing, small towns and shopping. Will go there to vacation and party. They go with their families and friends to create loving and lasting memories. It is supposed to be a happy place. And it was for a time while Karen Muscovitz lived there. Karen enjoyed much of what Florida had to offer. She was a hardworking woman who had a magnetic personality that people were naturally drawn to. She was a sociable and caring person. Karen lived with her boyfriend, and then, when his twin brother needed somewhere to live, they lived with him as well. Being a good-natured person, she agreed to this living arrangement, trusting she would maintain the same quality of living she was accustomed to. Her life was taken from her at the hands of her boyfriend's twin brother, the brother who is paranoid schizophrenic, The brother whom her boyfriend asked her to care for. The brother who was known to assert threats on people. The brother who ultimately caused tremendous ruin in so many people's lives. This is the story of Karen Muscovitz's murder. Arnie and Alice are Karen's parents, and their love is strong and true. Many years ago, they met through friends and have been together ever since. Alice had a close friend who lived down the street from her. She called Alice and told her that another one of their friends wanted to hang out. Alice was in the mood to go out and have a girl's night, so she got ready. The two girls headed up the highway, feeling free and happy. Unexpectedly, Alice hears some honking. And there is the girlfriend they were going to meet. And she has two other guys in the car. Alice was immediately suspicious and asked her friend what's going on here. Her friend sheepishly answered that she didn't want to go alone. Alice may have been bamboozled by her friends. However, things couldn't have worked out better. They had a pleasant evening. And the next day, Arnie showed up at her house. What began as a night out with girlfriends ended with Alice meeting her future husband. They dated and got married. They had a lovely son. And four years later, beautiful Karen was born. Their daughter. They fell in love with this spunky girl immediately. What type of a child was she?
1: A very happy child. She was... Uh, into everything, and she loved doing uh, dance. Oh, my gosh, that child couldn't stop dancing. And she even went to um, tap and um, dancing a school with some friends of hers, and she had a ball. And the teacher said that she was a natural for dancing because she had the rhythm. She knew which way she should go. I remember one of the times um, they were doing um, Soldiers, and they asked her and her girlfriend to stay on stage the whole time and as much as they could to keep up with the dance. You know, sit, they were sitting, and they had to, you know, dance with the hands, and, and her and Kim did a phenomenal job loved things. She liked certain sports, like volleyball. She loved that. She played that almost every day when it was night out out in the schoolyard.
0: Did she have a lot of close bonds with her her friends?
1: Um, She had a ton of them. (laughs) She had a ton of them. She was always, you know, this one and that one, you want to go over here, you want to do this, do that, and you know, that's how Karen was. And she, at school, she had tons of friends. <laughs> and the boys were afraid of her. They knew, you don't give anybody a hard time when she's around. Whether it be a cousin, a friend, the girl, especially her girlfriend. No, no. They, they ran from her.
0: And do you have um, a big family, extended family or immediate family?
1: Well, in my family, uh my mother and dad had twelve of us. Wow. Yeah, that's what I said. And Arnie <laughs> You had six, right? my husband's family had six. So there were a lot of cousins, a lot of us, a lot of uncles. So it was it was amazing. It was a blast and she knew all her cousins that were, you know, that would come and stuff even though they were older and it was she loved it she loved seeing all of these people
0: Karen and her brother grew to become extremely close over the years in high school Karen's brother joined show choir he loved to perform and he fit into this group quite nicely and easily when Karen went to high school she joined the group as well This is when the shift from siblings to friends began, continuing to develop with each day that passed. As young children, however, Karen was a teasing little sister. She realized how much playing her favorite Elmo song annoyed her big brother, so she would continuously play it on the highest volume possible. Alice, Karen's mother, says it was lovely to see their sibling rivalry turn into friendship. She says it was very, very nice. When Karen yearned for more spending money, she entered the workforce. She was a very hard worker. As a teenager through high school, she worked hard at various jobs. She liked to earn her own money and had an exceptionally strong work ethic. She never missed a day unless she was ill. At one time, she was working in a seafood restaurant. Although Karen hated seafood, she would work hard preparing the fish for the day, even though the smell was not something she found pleasant at all. She could be counted on. A constant with Karen was her dedication. Karen loved spending time with her grandmother and would constantly say to her parents that she was leaving the house to head over there. They would enjoy each other's company during their visits. Karen would help her grandmother in any way she needed. She could be seen out there weeding her grandmother's garden without complaint. When Karen started high school, she was a popular girl who loved to sing and dance and play volleyball. She never lacked in opportunities to enjoy life. She was a fun-loving girl, extremely close with her family, immediate and extended. Karen was loyal to her cousins, her friends, brother, and parents. When Karen fell in love with her boyfriend, he had a twin brother who lived with a severe mental illness, paranoid schizophrenia. At the time of her homicide, Karen's boyfriend had broken some laws and was sentenced to jail. He had custody of his twin brother at that time. He was responsible for him. When he was sent to jail, he asked Karen to please take over the responsibility of overseeing him. Karen did so for her boyfriend, the man she loved. This boyfriend asked his girlfriend, who had no formal training and was ill-equipped to take on the challenges of someone who suffers from this psychosis, paranoid schizophrenia, where your mind doesn't agree with reality Karen was a nurturer by nature it was her being who she was this mentally ill twin brother had been evicted from his own residence and had moved in with them Karen's father is very clear that had he known this was the case he would never have let that happen the twin brother had been violent toward Karen previously Karen, who loved children and animals. Karen, with her loving disposition, was put into a critical situation. Nobody, however, could have predicted what would happen. What work was your daughter doing leading up to her murder?
1: Um, well, she had lost her job because of, what was it? I don't know. Oh, the 9-11 and it it just, we, she worked as a hostess in um, in a restaurant. And she was, you know, the one that sat, sat the people and stuff. And she lost that because the, all the, um, the bases had locked down in a restaurant. And she liked that because she loves talking to people. <laughs> she had a good mouth for that.
0: Tell me about the horrible day that you found out that your daughter had been killed. How did you hear?
2: I'll let Annie talk about that. The police came to our house and they said, "Um, We need you to call Melbourne, Florida Police. And at the time, I didn't think much of it because I figured her voice was in trouble. So I told Alice to call and get the bad news, and I feel bad about that. So I pick up the phone. I think I better talk to him. I talked to the police and they told me what happened. She was, um, the twin brother, the boyfriend's twin brother, strangled her.
1: And
2: beat her
0: Tell us a little bit about the police investigation and how you've been let down by the process.
2: Um, well, there's, there's a lot to that story, and, um, that was in that article. I should have sent you another one. He, um, he had a, um, he had a friend come over to visit him, and he, um, grabbed him at the time my daughter was dead and says, Look what I did to Karen. And, um, so he, so he held him hostage. So what he did was, he, to get help, he asked his, um, you know, he had friends at to the top. he asked, um, the guy if I can, um, go on, on the internet. So he sent a message to his father on um, being hostage. So the cops came over and, um, knocked on the door and they said everything's fine here, but the guy had a gun to his head. So we had to say everything was fine. So um, we got back on the message, the messenger again and told him everything's not fine. They sent the SWAT team over. They finally captured him and then they called us right afterwards. And her body was um uh, object the heat and flower for a couple of days while she was dead.
0: So we couldn't have uh, a rope open casket for a funeral. In the aftermath of Karen's murder, more chaos reeked in what was supposed to be Karen's sanctuary. The friend that had stopped by the house landed in the middle of a nightmare. When he entered the house, he was met by the crazed killer who held him hostage at gunpoint for two days. He was kept in the home where Karen had already met her brutal demise. This friend had no way out and was lucky to get back onto the internet and advise his family that he was a hostage but was made to lie to the police because under the circumstances he was afraid for his life. The SWAT team found Karen's lifeless body she had been murdered two days previously shortly before this friend arrived to ultimately become a kidnapping victim Karen's body was quite decomposed due to the length of time it sat in the awful Florida heat Florida law allows for the dismissal of charges if a person has been deemed incompetent for five years and appears unlikely to be competent in the foreseeable future. It is highly possible he will be released from involuntary mental commitment without ever facing charges for the murder of Karen. If he is released, which could be soon, Arnie and Alice have differing opinions on whether his mother would allow him to live with her. He doesn't have many options about where he could go. However, It is said that his mother is afraid of him. He is said to have threatened both his mother and stepmother. Arnie and Alice are fearful he will be released and they won't be informed. As they no longer receive any information about their daughter's killer from the authorities, they feel there is a grave injustice in the system when it comes to how their daughter's murder has been treated. I mean, this other guy who was being held hostage, how long was he being held hostage for?
1: He came in on Sunday. And on Tuesday is when, that's that's when he, um, the police came in and got Jerry out. And then they went after Travis. I felt bad for Jerry because he was scared to death. But I felt, If it wasn't for Jerry coming over that day, Sunday, with, uh, what do you call it, fruit from his trees at his house, I think he would have got rid of her body. I believe that with all my heart. And I told Jerry, I thanked him from the bottom of my heart because he would not have let her be found.
0: How did the mental illness he suffered from come into the trial? The way it works, not to work on this part, the
2: way it works is if you're incompetent for five years straight, then they can't try you. And that's what happened.
1: He was... If he took his medicine, he was fine. Because he came up to our house and we met him with his dad. And he seemed fine to us, I mean. And... It was just that he decided his body was a temple and that mm, that he wasn't going to put any pills into it. And as, he, as the months went by, he started getting worse. He started saying that the police are buying up all the houses in his neighborhood and they're spying on him. And he was really starting to lose it. And I told her to get the heck out of there and stay away from him. She said, well, he's at his house and we're at ours. But he ended up losing his house and moved in with uh, Brent and Karen, which was not a good thing.
0: Tell me about the contact you have had with the family of your daughter's murderer.
1: We've his mother and his stepbrother, when we had the court trial, they stayed on our side. They were very upset with Travis and they loved Karen. Uh, Shannon, who was the half brother, said she was like a sister to him. She said, You know, he says, I'd come up you know, at least once a month and take her out and uh, to lunch. And they just sat and talked. He said it was wonderful. And Jan, which is the mother, she, she loved Karen. She had pictures of her everywhere at her house. And it was it was amazing, you know, the way they loved her.
0: Did you ever see Karen's boyfriend again after his twin brother murdered your daughter?
1: He took off after she was murdered, and we've never seen him since. He called here once, wanting to talk with us. He did want to talk. to mother. Oh, that's right. He was calling to find out her number, but Annie talked to him. He said, you know, I blame you for my daughter's murder because you asked her. To stay with Travis, and he knew what he was like, and he asked her to take care of him, which she knew damn well that—excuse my—that she wouldn't let him down because she loved him that much.
0: And what so, did he say?
2: I don't know what he said to he you. He was asking for his arm. so he made no comment about. No, he just apologized and. And then he, I said, I don't know your no more and I was it.
0: Karen's boyfriend's mother lived with such horrible sadness and devastation at the realization that her son murdered a woman, someone she held in the highest esteem, someone she loved, Karen. She keeps in touch with Karen's parents, Alice and Arnie. She sends cards at their birthdays and Christmas, She even made an amazing end table that honours Karen, the top of which is decorated with a picture of Karen with her beloved dog. Alice finds it amazing how wonderful this woman has been trying to show support in the direst of circumstances, reaching out to the family whose daughter her son murdered. Just being on their side is amazing to her.
1: They found her body, and I felt bad. Uh, Travis's mom is the one that had to go to the morgue and identify her body. That one was so hot for her. It really, yeah, because she loved Karen, and she didn't want to have, have to have one of us go down. She wanted to make it as easy for us because she couldn't believe her son did that.
0: Did this murderer get any time at all in jail?
1: Yes, he was convicted of first degree murder, um a life without parole. Kidnapping and murder. Yeah, kidnapping and murder. But then they dropped the gun charges. They got yeah, but they then they he decided that he was gonna fight it, and that he wasn't allowed to do. Um, he had to wear his orange jumpsuit to court, which surprised me. Then he wanted to fire his lawyer the last week of trial, and the judge said no. And it was... What else was it? There was a couple other things.
2: Yeah, had handcuffs in, in the, um, the trial. They decided that
1: because he was deemed incompetent that he never killed anybody. And they have to wait to see if he becomes confident and he has' not it.
0: What do you both do to honor Karen's memory? Is, is there a particular tradition you have or something you do?
2: Well, well I used to... You know. I always try kept busy, and I ran a support group because so I went to um, a support group, and it was for children that got killed, but um, they didn't have any murdered children um, in the groups, so it wasn't for us. So I said, "Well, I'm gonna start on my own because we need it." I did that for like 13 years, so now I'm retired. So I just take it day by day. But I still get involved. People call me up because I run a support line for counseling murdered children. Wonderful. Wife,
0: that is that is absolutely wonderful.
2: And my wife and her girlfriend used to um, donate send it to American um, to dog, dog um. Every year we would we used to buy gifts for each other
1: so what we did, we pulled the money together and we would, the first year Karen was a pet lover and she had her dog and we bought a truck, not a truck, I'm sorry, a trunk full of food and donated it to the Humane Society at our in our town. And they said, oh, can't you bring it in? I said, no. <laughs> I said, there's too much. She went, okay, we'll go look. And they could not believe what was in the trunk. They were floored. They said, oh, my gosh. And my girlfriend told them that it was in in memory of my daughter. And so every year, we did it mostly for the animals. And then we did it one year for a nursing home where my mother worked. And we got names and we bought clothes for them. Anything that they put down on a list, we bought for them. And, you know, so it was... It was just to keep her memory alive to, you know, and I mean, even when we donated the food, one guy said, oh, we know, Arnie, my brother works with him. And I'm going, oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is
0: beautiful, though, that you did that for the Humane Society and for a nursing home. I love that. What a beautiful, what a beautiful tribute.
1: It made us feel good. My girlfriend said to me the first time we were going up and down the aisles. And the next day she said to me, Alice, that is the first time I've heard you laugh in a year. Mm. And I went, No, sir. She goes, Oh, yeah. She said, You haven't laughed since Karen was murdered. And I never realized it. I thought I was normal. <laughs> As whatever is normal for me
2: anyways.
0: Tell me tell me something you like to do with your daughter. We did things with the family, like we went camping and stuff like
2: that. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, we did a lot of that. We went cycling up the White Mountain, went to the cabin. Camping. Yeah.
1: yeah, it was we did a lot of things. Every year we'd take our two weeks vacation and do something.
0: What impact has Karen's murder had on your lives?
1: It was just devastating and my life changed forever. I can't, you know, I I did get back to laughing and stuff, but there's always that deep inside that 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 pain that doesn't go away. And, you know, that's how I feel. How about you, Ben? How does it affect
2: you? Sexually, me just like you know I'm the I get angry easy I was when I used to take the classes one of the things we found out was lucky between was nine, the but there's so many divorces over people that had their children but they blamed each other, and truly we don't do that here
1: no it was it wasn't our fault we tried everything to get her to come home. As a matter of fact, we sent her tickets the July and August of 2003. And we wanted her to come home and we sent her the tickets and it was for three weeks. And we had a ball. We had, which I didn't know at the time, there was my, I, my nephew... Uh, graduated from law school, he passed his bar and stuff. And they were having a big party for him. all my family that was in the area. Showed up, and she wanted to make an entrance. <laughs> she was. She always had this ear that you know she was. Cool and all this stuff. I mean, and she came strutting in, and then she saw her cousin and just screamed and just hugged him. And I said, "What happened to making an entrance?" She goes, "My family was here."
0: <laughs> oh,
1: so it was, and that was last time it, my family got to see. Her. You know, one guy from show choir, and they became partners. And let me tell you, the trophies they have won, the four years, and then even afterwards, there was something up at Hampton Beach. And it went every week, they would have a contest. And she was on one. And whoever won all, I don't know if it was eight weeks of it, but they all got together the last week. And whoever, out of the ones that won each week, whoever won, would get this huge trophy. And it just so happened to be Karen and Jeremy. As a matter of fact, he wrote Karen a song that he sent me. And, oh my gosh, it it was about... How do I put that? He was too young when they were together, and they broke up, but that he, I can't remember the exact words, but it was like, he misses her, and now she's gone, he can't do anything about it, so, but it was a beautiful, beautiful song, and I i treasure that song that he wrote for her.
0: And Arnie, let me ask, because you were uh, really involved with your support group, do you have any sort of words of encouragement for other people that may be living through a traumatic experience that you could share?
2: Well, I used to tell my friends, you got to keep yourself busy. Otherwise, you're going to be moping around and you're going to get worse. That's one of the reasons I started the group and do is volunteering work. And um, it's going to get better. You know, you might not think it's going to get better, but it's going to get better. You're still going to have it it with you, but you're going to be able to continue on with your life. It's always in the back of your mind. No way of getting out of that, but it will get better here.
0: Is there anything else that either of you would like to share today?
1: The thing I found it was later, a couple years later and stuff, is that some of the people from the group were, didn't realize that the other children in the family sometimes felt lost, and they felt that, like they lost their parents too because they were so consumed with the deaths and everything, and, and quite a few of them never even realized that they did that. And so they would, they, a couple of them had asked their, their other children and they said, yeah, you're, you're, you're doing everything, you you know, for the one that died, but, you know, they were still living and it just floored them. They had no idea that that's how they, the other siblings felt, but nobody else understands unless you've been through it. So. And that was the biggest thing Nobody understood I mean they tried Yeah we know what you're going through But they don't They only hit the surface So it's important to talk to People that That have gone through it And you find a lot of people have the The same similarities As you do And you connect with them So And I think the the siblings would do the same. They would connect with people uh, their own age and get that benefit.
0: Both Arnie and Alice feel that counselling is key to moving forward after such devastation wreaks havoc on your family. There are so many ways to seek out help. Their advice is to try to find groups that are age specific for children. If you have youngsters, try to get them into a group with their peers. Teens will also benefit from peer counseling. After observing far too many people grieve, it seems apparent to them that being with others that are living with similar overwhelming feelings and emotions and thoughts benefit greatly from discussing them with others in a similar situation. Murder in families brings such a unique grief that finding a group or a counselor that specializes in grief is optimum. Alice ran a daycare where Karen would spend hours playing with the children.
1: One time she climbed in an elephant toy box and all the kids' parents came and then I'm looking for her and I'm saying, where the heck did she go? She had climbed in there and fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> the kids all forgot that she had done it I couldn't oh. believe it, I went oh out my word
0: There is such sorrow that these family members are living through It is inspiring to hear how hard Arnie and Alice have worked to help others Through which they have helped themselves and each other Arnie began a support group to be there to lend an ear to those that needed one, give advice to others, simply through his understanding and real-life experience. Show it is possible to live life and laugh again, to enjoy the triumphs of your living family members without forgetting the one that was murdered. Do good in the world in the name of your murdered loved one continue to inspire others, and be inspired. People like Arnie are necessary in the world to help others. Arnie and Alice are great examples of people who, after a loved one was murdered, do things in their loved one's name. Thank you both for being who you are and helping others. You both take care of yourselves and uh, keep in touch and thank you very much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate
1: it. Thank you for inviting thank us. You. Uh, oh yes, no.
0: Thank thank you. That's uh, I'm I'm glad to have had you both here. That's wonderful and I'm yeah. glad we were able to tell Karen's story today.
1: Thank you, really. This was
0: this was wonderful. Stay well. you, you too. Okay, bye-bye. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to let you know that we now have a Patreon link that you can access in the episode show notes. You can contribute as little as $1 a month or send a one-time payment through our PayPal account, also in our show notes, or at mourningthemurdered at gmail.com. These contributions allow us to continue producing a weekly episode, helping families be able to tell their loved ones' stories. I want to thank you all so much for your support. And don't forget to join our Facebook group. I'm not quite sure how people move on after a tragedy. There are support groups online and face-to-face, and there are books and family and friends to lean on. But in reality, when someone loses a loved one to murder, they lose a piece of themselves that can never be returned. Memories are all that are left. So talk about your loved one, and let the world know how important they will be to you forever. These memories become valuable treasures. No one will ever understand your pain, but surround yourself with those that can understand how important it is for you to share your story. I will now light a candle for the victim and their loved ones, ensuring their memory lives on and burns brightly. You are remembered. I want to take a moment and extend my most sincere and humble gratitude to each and every one of you. Thank you thank you for listening. If you have any questions, or if you would like your voice to be heard on Mourning the Murdered and tell the story of your loved one, email me at mourningthemurdered at gmail.com. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-T-H-E-M-U-R-D-E-R-E-D at gmail.com. Thank you to Dennis for editing this podcast. You are absolutely indispensable. Thank you so much. A huge shout out to Patrick for creating the original music that you hear. And the artwork for this podcast was created by Talia with support from Matt and Mick. Thanks so much, guys.